section eight of shirley by charlotte bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain noah and moses the next day moore had risen before the sun and had taken a ride to winbury and back ere his sister had made the cafe au lait or cut the tartines for his breakfast what business he transacted there he kept to himself hortense asked no questions it was not her wont to comment on his movements nor his to render an account of them the secrets of business complicated and often dismal mysteries were buried in his breast and never came out of their sepulchre save now and then to scare joe scott or give a start to some foreign correspondent indeed a general habit of reserve on whatever was important seemed bred in his mercantile blood breakfast over he went to his counting-house henry joe scott's boy brought in the letters and the daily papers moore seated himself at his desk broke the seals of the documents and glanced them over they were all short but not it seemed sweet probably rather sour on the contrary for as moore laid down the last his nostrils emitted a derisive and defiant snuff and though he burst into no soliloquy there was a glance in his eye which seemed to invoke the devil and lay charges on him to sweep the whole concern to gehenna however having chosen a pen and stripped away the feathered top in a brief spasm of finger fury only finger fury his face was placid he dashed off a batch of answers sealed them and then went out and walked through the mill on coming back he sat down to read his newspaper the contents seemed not absorbingly interesting he more than once laid it across his knee folded his arms and gazed into the fire he occasionally turned his head towards the window he looked at intervals at his watch in short his mind appeared preoccupied perhaps he was thinking of the beauty of the weather for it was a fine and mild morning for the season and wishing to be out in the fields enjoying it the door of his counting-house stood wide open the breeze and sunshine entered freely but the first visitant brought no spring perfume on its wings only an occasional sulphur puff from the soot-thick column of smoke rushing sable from the gaunt mill chimney a dark blue apparition that of joe scott fresh from a dying vat appeared momentarily at the open door uttered the words he's combed sir and vanished mr moore raised not his eyes from the paper a large man broad-shouldered and massive-limbed clad in fustian garments and grey worsted stockings entered who was received with a nod and desired to take a seat which he did making the remark as he removed his hat a very bad one stowed it away under his chair and wiped his forehead with a spotted cotton handkerchief extracted from the hat crown that it was rate dawn warm for february mr moore assented at least he uttered some slight sound which though inarticulate might pass for an assent 
the visitor now carefully deposited in the corner beside him an official-looking staff which he bore in his hand this done he whistled probably by way of appearing at his ease you have what is necessary i suppose said mr moore ay ay all's right he renewed his whistling mr moore his reading the paper apparently had become more interesting presently however he turned to his cupboard which was within reach of his long arm opened it without rising took out a black bottle the same he had produced for malone's benefit a tumbler and a jug placed them on the table and said to his guest help yourself there's water in that jar in the corner i nut it gnaw that there's mitch need for all a body is dry thirsty in a morning said the fustian gentleman rising and doing as requested will you tack naught yourself mr moore he inquired as with skilled hand he mixed portion and having tested it by a deep draught sank back satisfied and bland in his seat more cherry of words replied by a negative movement and murmur yad as good continued his visitor it'd set ye up wal the sup of this stuff uncommon good hollands ye get it fro furrin parts i's think ay tack my advice and try a glass on't them lads at's comin ull keep ye talkin nobody knows how long ye'll need propping have you seen mr sykes this morning inquired moore i seed him a half an hour nay happen a quarter of an hour sin just afore i set off he said he aimed to come here and i sudden a wonder but ye'll have old hellstone too i seed him saddling his little nag as i passed at back a directory the speaker was a true prophet for the trot of a little nag's hoofs was five minutes after heard in the yard it stopped and a well-known nasal voice cried aloud boy probably addressing harry scott who usually hung about the premises from nine a m to five p m take my horse and lead him into the stable hellstone came in marching nimbly and erect looking browner keener and livelier than usual beautiful morning more how do my boy ha whom have we here turning to the personage with the staff sugden what you're going to work directly on my word you lose no time but i come to ask exclamations your message was delivered to me are you sure you are on the right scent how do you mean to set about the business have you got a warrant sugden has then you are going to seek him now i'll accompany you you will be spared that trouble sir he is coming to seek me i'm just now sitting in state waiting his arrival and who is it one of my parishioners joe scott had entered unobserved he now stood a most sinister phantom half his person being dyed of the deepest tint of indigo leaning on the desk his master's answer to the rector's question was a smile joe took the word putting on a quiet but pawky look he said it's a friend of yours mr hellstone a gentleman you often speak of indeed his name joe you look well this morning only the reverend moses barraclough tabortur you call him sometimes i think ah said the rector taking out his snuff-box and administering to himself a very long pinch 
ah couldn't have supposed it why the pious man never was a workman of yours more he's a tailor by trade and so much the worse grudge i owe him for interfering and setting my discarded men against me and moses was actually present at the battle of stilbro more he went there wooden leg and all ay sir said joe he went there on horseback that his leg mightn't be noticed he was the captain and wore a mask the rest only had their faces blackened and how was he found out i'll tell you sir said joe to maister's not so fond of talking i've no objections he courted sarah mr moore's sarvant lass and so it seems she would have nothing to say to him she either didn't like his wooden leg or she'd some notion about his being a hypocrite happen for women is queer hands we may say that amang wears sound when there's none of em nigh she'd have encouraged him in spite of his leg and his deceit just to pass time like i've known some on em do his mitch and summat to bonniest and mimmest looking too ay i've seen clean trim young things that looked as denty and pure as daisy and with time a body fun em out to be naught but stinging venom nettles joe's a sensible fellow interjected hellstone how siver sarah had another string to her bow fred murgatroyd one of our lads is for her and as women judge men by their faces and fred has a middling face while moses is none so handsome as we all gnaw the last took on with fred a two three months sin murgatroyd and moses chanced to meet one sunday night they'd both come lurking about these premises with the notion of counselling sarah to tack a bit of a walk with them they fell out had a tussle and fred was worsted for he's young and small and barraclough for all he has only one leg is almost as strong as sugden there indeed anybody that hears him roaring at a revival or a love feast may be sure he's no weakling joe you're insupportable here broke in mr moore you spin out your explanation as moses spins out his sermons the long and short of it is murgatroyd was jealous of barraclough and last night as he and a friend took shelter in a barn from a shower they heard and saw moses conferring with some associates within from their discourse it was plain he had been the leader not only at stilbro moor but in the attack on sykes's property moreover they planned a deputation to wait on me this morning which the tailor is to head and which in the most religious and peaceful spirit is to entreat me to put the accursed thing out of my tent i rode over to winbury this morning got a constable and a warrant and i'm now waiting to give my friend the reception he deserves here meantime comes sykes mr hellstone you must spirit him up he feels timid at the thoughts of prosecuting a gig was heard to roll into the yard mr sykes entered a tall stout man of about fifty comely of feature but feeble of physiognomy he looked anxious have they been are they gone have you got him is it over he asked not yet returned moore with phlegm we are waiting for them they'll not come it's near noon better give it up it will excite bad feeling make a stir cause perhaps fatal consequences you need not appear said moore i shall meet them in the yard when they come you can stay here but my name must be seen in the law proceedings a wife and family mr moore a wife and family make a man cautious moore looked disgusted give way if you please said he leave me to myself i have no objection to act alone 
only be assured you will not find safety in submission your partner pearson gave way and conceded and forbore well that did not prevent them from attempting to shoot him in his own house my dear sir take a little wine and water recommended mr hellstone the wine and water was holland's and water as mr sykes discovered when he had compounded and swallowed a brimming tumbler thereof it transfigured him in two minutes brought the colour back to his face and made him at least word valiant he now announced that he hoped he was above being trampled on by the common people he was determined to endure the insolence of the working classes no longer he had considered of it and made up his mind to go all lengths if money and spirit could put down these rioters they should be put down mr moore might do as he liked but he christy sykes would spend his last penny in law before he would be beaten he'd settle them or he'd see take another glass urged moore mr sykes didn't mind if he did this was a cold morning sugden had found it a warm one it was necessary to be careful at this season of the year it was proper to take something to keep the damp out he had a little cough already here he coughed in attestation of the fact something of this sort lifting the black bottle was excellent taken medicinally he poured the physic into his tumbler he didn't make a practice of drinking spirits in a morning but occasionally it really was prudent to take precautions quite prudent and take them by all means urged the host mr sykes now addressed mr hellstone who stood on the hearth his shovel hat on his head watching him significantly with his little keen eyes you sir as a clergyman said he may feel it disagreeable to be present amidst scenes of hurry and flurry and i may say peril i dare say your nerves won't stand it you're a man of peace sir but we manufacturers living in the world and always in turmoil get quite belligerent really there's an ardour excited by the thoughts of danger that makes my heart pant when mrs sykes is afraid of the house being attacked and broke open as she is every night i get quite excited i couldn't describe to you sir my feelings really if anybody was to come thieves or anything i believe i should enjoy it such is my spirit the hardest of laughs though brief and low and by no means insulting was the response of the rector more would have pressed upon the heroic mill-owner a third tumbler but the clergyman who never transgressed nor would suffer others in his presence to transgress the bounds of decorum checked him enough is as good as a feast is it not mr sykes he said and mr sykes assented and then sat and watched o scott remove the bottle at a sign from hellstone with a self-satisfied simper on his lips and a regretful glisten in his eye moore looked as if he should have liked to fool him to the top of his bent what would a certain young kinswoman of his have said could she have seen her dear good great robert her coriolanus just now which she have acknowledged in that mischievous sardonic visage the same face to which she had looked up with such love which had bent over her with such gentleness last night was that the man who had spent so quiet an evening with his sister and his cousin so suave to one so tender to the other reading shakespeare and listening to chenier yes it was the same man only seen on a different side a side caroline had not yet fairly beheld though perhaps she had enough sagacity faintly to suspect its existence well caroline had doubtless her defective side too she was human she must then have been very imperfect 
and had she seen more on his very worst side she would probably have said this to herself and excused him love can excuse anything except meanness but meanness kills love cripples even natural affection without esteem true love cannot exist more with all his faults might be esteemed for he had no moral scrofula in his mind no hopeless polluting taint such for instance as that of falsehood neither was he the slave of his appetites the active life to which he had been born and bred had given him something else to do than to join the futile chase of the pleasure-hunter he was a man undegraded the disciple of reason not the votary of sense the same might be said of old hellstone neither of these two would look think or speak a lie for neither of them had the wretched black bottle which had just been put away any charms both might boast a valid claim to the proud title of lord of the creation for no animal vice was lord of them they looked and were superior beings to poor sykes a sort of gathering and trampling sound was heard in the yard and then a pause moore walked to the window hellstone followed both stood on one side the tall junior behind the undersized senior looking forth carefully so that they might not be visible from without their sole comment on what they saw was a cynical smile flashed into each other's stern eyes a flourishing oratorical cough was now heard followed by the interjection wished designed as it seemed to still the hum of several voices moore opened his casement an inch or two to admit sound more freely joseph scott began a snuffling voice scott was standing sentinel at the counting-house door might we inquire if your master be within and is to be spoken to he's within i said joe nonchalantly would you then if you please emphasis on you have the goodness to tell him that twelve gentlemen wants to see him he'd happen ax what for suggested joe i mut as we'll tell him that at the same time for a purpose was the answer joe entered please sir there's twelve gentlemen wants to see ye for a purpose good joe i'm their man sugden come when i whistle moore went out chuckling dryly he advanced into the yard one hand in his pocket the other in his waistcoat his cap brim over his eyes shading in some measure their deep dancing ray of scorn twelve men waited in the yard some in their shirt-sleeves some in blue aprons two figured conspicuously in the van of the party one a little dapper strutting man with a turned-up nose the other a broad-shouldered fellow distinguished no less by his demure face and cat-like trustless eyes than by a wooden leg and stout crutch there was a kind of leer about his lips he seemed laughing in his sleeve at some personal thing his whole air was anything but that of a true man good morning mr bearclough said moore debonairly for him peace be unto you was the answer mr bearclough entirely closing his naturally half-shut eyes as he delivered it i'm obliged to you peace is an excellent thing there's nothing i more wish for myself but that is not all you have to say to me i suppose i imagine peace is not your purpose as to our purpose began bearclough it's one that may sound strange 
and perhaps foolish to ears like yours for the childer of this world is wiser in their generation than the childer of light to the point if you please and let me hear what it is yes sir here sir if i cannot get it off there's eleven behint can help me it is a grand purpose and changing his voice from a half sneer to a whine it's the lord's own purpose and that's better do you want a subscription to a new ranter's chapel mr bearclough unless your errand be something of that sort i cannot see what you have to do with it i hadn't that duty on my mind sir but as providence has led ye to mention the subject i'll make it in my way to tack ony trifle ye may have to spare the smallest contribution will be acceptable with that he doffed his hat and held it out as a begging box a brazen grin at the same time crossing his countenance if i gave you sixpence you would drink it bearclough uplifted the palms of his hands and the whites of his eyes evincing in the gesture a mere burlesque of hypocrisy you seem a fine fellow said moore quite coolly and dryly you don't care for showing me that you are a double-dyed hypocrite that your trade is fraud you expect indeed to make me laugh at the cleverness with which you play your coarsely farcical part but at the same time you think you are deceiving the men behind you moses's countenance lowered he saw he had gone too far he was going to answer when the second leader impatient of being hitherto kept in the background stepped forward this man did not look like a traitor though he had an exceedingly self-confident and conceited air mr moore commenced he speaking also in his throat and nose and enunciating each word very slowly as if with a view to giving his audience time to appreciate fully the uncommon elegance of the phraseology it might perhaps justly be said that reason rather than peace is our purpose we come in the first place to request you to hear reason and should you refuse it is my duty to warn you in very decided terms that measures will be had resort to he meant recourse which will probably terminate in in bringing you to a sense of the unwisdom of the the foolishness which seems to guide and guard your proceedings as a tradesman in this manufacturing part of the country hem sir i would beg to allude that as a furriner coming from a distant coast another quarter and hemisphere of this globe thrown as i may say a perfect outcast on the shores the cliffs of albion you have not that understanding of huzz and were ways which might conduce to the benefit of the working classes if to come at once to particulars you'd consider to give up this here milne and go without further protractions straight home to where you belong it'd happen be as well i could see naught a uh, gian such a plan what have ye to say tullet lads turning round to the other members of the deputation who responded unanimously hear hear bravo noah o tims murmured joe scott who stood behind mr moore moses'll never beat that cliffs uh, albion and t'other hemisphere 
my surty did ye come fra the antarctic zone maister moses is dished moses however refused to be dished he thought he would try again casting a somewhat ireful glance at noah a Tim's. he launched out in his turn and now he spoke in a serious tone relinquishing the sarcasm which he found had not answered or iver you set up the pole o your tent among us mr moore we lived in peace and quietness yea i may say in all loving-kindness i'm not myself an aged person as yet but i can remember as far back as maybe some twenty year when hand-labour were encouraged and respected and no mischief-maker had ventured to introduce these here machines which is so pernicious now i'm not a cloth dresser myself but by trade a tailor how siver my heart is of a softest nature i'm a very feeling man and when i see my brethren oppressed like my great namesake of old i stand up for em for which intent i this day speak with you face to face and advises you to part with your infernal machinery and tack on more hands what if i don't follow your advice mr barraclough the lord pardon you the lord soften your heart sir are you in connection with the wesleyans now mr barraclough praise god bless his name i'm a joined methody which in no respect prevents you from being at the same time a drunkard and a swindler i saw you one night a week ago laid dead drunk by the roadside as i return from stillbro market and while you preach peace you make it the business of your life to stir up dissension you no more sympathize with the poor who are in distress than you sympathize with me you incite them to outrage for bad purposes of your own so does the individual call noah of tims you too are restless meddling impudent scoundrels whose chief motive principle is a selfish ambition as dangerous as it is puerile the persons behind you are some of them honest though misguided men but you too i count altogether bad bearclough was going to speak silence you have had your say and now i will have mine as to being dictated to by you or any jack jem or jonathan on earth i shall not suffer it for a moment you desire me to quit the country you request me to part with my machinery in case i refuse you threaten me i do refuse point blank here i stay and by this mill i stand and into it will i convey the best machinery inventors can furnish what will you do the utmost you can do and this you will never dare to do is to burn down my mill destroy its contents and shoot me what then suppose that building was a ruin and i was a corpse what then you lads behind these two scamps would that stop invention or exhaust science not for the fraction of a second of time another and better gig mill would rise on the ruins of this and perhaps a more enterprising owner come in my place hear me i'll make my cloth as i please and according to the best lights i have in its manufacture i will employ what means i choose whoever after hearing this shall dare to interfere with me may just take the consequences an example shall prove 
i'm in earnest he whistled shrill and loud sugden his staff and warrant came on the scene moore turned sharply to bearclough you were at stilbro said he i have proof of that you were on the moor you wore a mask you knocked down one of my men with your own hand you a preacher of the gospel sugden arrest him moses was captured there was a cry and a rush to rescue but the right hand which all this while had lain hidden in moore's breast reappearing held out a pistol both barrels are loaded said he i'm quite determined keep off stepping backwards facing the foe as he went he guarded his prey to the counting-house he ordered joe scott to pass in with sugden and the prisoner and to bolt the door inside for himself he walked backwards and forwards along the front of the mill looking meditatively on the ground his hand hanging carelessly by his side but still holding the pistol the eleven remaining deputies watched him some time talking under their breath to each other at length one of them approached this man looked very different from either of the two who had previously spoken he was hard favoured but modest and manly looking i've not much faith in moses bearclough said he and i would speak a word to you myself mr moore it's out o no ill-will that i'm here for my part it's just a mack effort to get things straightened for they're sorely a crooked ye see we're ill off very ill off we're families as poor and pined we're thrown out o work with these frames we can get naught to do we can earn naught what is to be done mun we say wished and lig us down in d nay i've no grand words at my tongue's end mr moore but i feel that it wad be a low principle for a reasonable man to starve to death like a dumb crater i will na do it i'm not for shedding blood i'd neither kill a man nor hurt a man and i'm not for pulling down mills and breaking machines for as ye say that way o goin on'll never stop invention but i'll talk i'll mak as big a din as ever i can invention may be all right but i know it isn't right for poor folks to starve them that governs mun find a way to help us they mun make fresh orderations ye'll say that's hard to do so much louder mun we shout out then for so much slacker will it parliament men be to set on to a tough job worry the parliament men as much as you please said moore but to worry the mill owners is absurd and i for one won't stand it you're a rate harden returned the workman will it not ye give us a bit of time will it not ye consent to make your changes rather more slowly am i the whole body of clothiers in yorkshire answer me that you're yourself and only myself and if i stop by the way an instant while others are rushing on i should be trodden down if i did as you wish me to do i should be bankrupt in a month and would my bankruptcy put bread into your hungry children's mouths william Farron, neither to your dictation nor to that of any other will i submit talk to me no more about machinery i will have my own way i shall get new frames in to-morrow if you broke these i would still get more i'll never give in here the mill bell rang twelve o'clock it was the dinner hour moore abruptly turned from the deputation and re-entered his counting-house his last words had left a bad harsh impression he at least had failed in the disposing of a chance he was lord of by speaking kindly to william farron 
who was a very honest man without envy or hatred of those more happily circumstanced than himself thinking it no hardship and no injustice to be forced to live by labour disposed to be honourably content if he could but get work to do more might have made a friend it seemed wonderful how he could turn from such a man without a conciliatory or a sympathising expression the poor fellow's face looked haggard with want he had the aspect of a man who had not known what it was to live in comfort and plenty for weeks perhaps months past and yet there was no ferocity no malignity in his countenance it was worn dejected austere but still patient how could more leave him thus with the words i'll never give in and not a whisper of goodwill or hope or aid farron as he went home to his cottage once in better times a decent clean pleasant place but now though still clean very dreary because so poor asked himself this question he concluded that the foreign mill-owner was a selfish and unfeeling and he thought too a foolish man it appeared to him that emigration had he only the means to emigrate would be preferable to service under such a master he felt much cast down almost hopeless on his entrance his wife served out in orderly sort such dinner as she had to give him and the bairns it was only porridge and too little of that some of the younger children asked for more when they had done their portion an application which disturbed william much while his wife quieted them as well as she could he left his seat and went to the door he whistled a cheery stave which did not however prevent a broad drop or two much more like the first of a thunder shower than those which oozed from the wound of the gladiator from gathering on the lids of his grey eyes and plashing thence to the threshold he cleared his vision with his sleeve and the melting mood over a very stern one followed he still stood brooding in silence when a gentleman in black came up a clergyman it might be seen at once but neither hellstone nor malone nor dunn nor sweeting he might be forty years old he was plain-looking dark-complexioned and already rather grey-haired he stooped a little in walking his countenance as he came on wore an abstracted and somewhat doleful air but in approaching farron he looked up and then a hearty expression illuminated the preoccupied serious face is it you william how are you he asked middling mr hall how are ye will ye step in and rest ye mr hall whose name the reader has seen mentioned before and who indeed was vicar of nunnally of which parish baron was a native and from whence he had removed but three years ago to reside in briarfield for the convenience of being near hollows mill where he had obtained work entered the cottage and having greeted the good wife and the children sat down he proceeded to talk very cheerfully about the length of time that had elapsed since the family quitted his parish the changes which had occurred since he answered questions touching his sister margaret who was inquired after with much interest he asked questions in his turn and at last glancing hastily and anxiously round through his spectacles he wore spectacles for he was short-sighted at the bare room and at the meagre and wan faces of the circle about him for the children had come round his knee and the father and mother stood before him he said abruptly and how are you all how do you get on mr hall be it remarked though an accomplished scholar not only spoke with a strong northern accent but on occasion used freely 
north country expressions we get on poorly said william we're all out of work i've sell most a uh, to household stuff as ye may see and what we're to do next god knows has mr moore turned you off he has turned us off and i've sich an opinion of him now that i think if he'd take me on again to-morrow i wouldn't work for him it is not like you to say so william i know it isn't but i'm getting different to myself i feel i am changing i wadna heed it if to bairns and to wife had enough to live on but they're pinched they're pined well my lad and so are you i see you are these are grievous times i see suffering wherever i turn william sit down grace sit down let us talk it over and in order the better to talk it over mr hall lifted the least of the children on to his knee and placed his hand on the head of the next least but when the small things began to chatter to him he bade them wished and fixing his eyes on the grate he regarded the handful of embers which burned there very gravely sad times he said and they last long it is the will of god his will be done but he tries us to the utmost again he reflected you've no money william and you've nothing you could sell to raise a small sum no i've sell to chest of drawers and to clock and to bit of mahogany stand and to wife's bonny tea-tray and set a genie at she brought for a portion when we were wed and if somebody lent you a pound or two could you make any good use of it could you get into a new way of doing something farin did not answer but his wife said quickly ay i'm sure he could sir he's a very contriving chap is our william if he'd two or three pounds he could begin selling stuff could you william please god returned william deliberately i could buy groceries and bits of tapes and thread and what i thought would sell and i could begin hawking at first and you know sir interposed grace you're sure william would neither drink nor idle nor waste in any way he's my husband and i shouldn't praise him but i will say there's not a soberer honester man in england nor he is well i'll speak to one or two friends and i think i can promise to let him have five pound in a day or two as a loan you mind not a gift he must pay it back i understand sir i'm quite agreeable to that meantime there's a few shillings for you grace just to keep the pot boiling till custom comes now bairns stand up in a row and say your catechism while your mother goes and buys some dinner for you've not had much to-day i'll be bound you begin ben what is your name mr hall stayed till grace came back then he hastily took his leave shaking hands with both farron and his wife just at the door he said to them a few brief but very earnest words of religious consolation and exhortation with a mutual god bless you sir god bless you my friends they separated End of section eight